Greetings and welcome back to the OU's Shnayim Mikra. My name is Yitzchak Et Shalom. And it's my pleasure to share with you some observations about the second Aliyah of our Parsha, Parshat Lech Lecha, which begins with um, <clears throat> Perak Yodbet, uh, Pasuk Yodalad, as Avraham, Avram and Sarai come into Mitzrayim, and uh, as we know, Sarai is uh, taken into Paro's house. Uh, in the last podcast, I spoke about the Ramban's interpretation of the trailblazing nature of this episode. But there's a piece that I alluded to in the previous podcast that I'd like to expand on a little bit. If we take a look at the end and into the beginning of the next parak, which, uh, which takes us through this aliyah, we'll see something interesting happening. Uh, so indeed, the people saw that the woman was very beautiful. This is, of course, interesting because Sarah at this time is already in what we would consider to be middle-aged, and as it turns out to be uh, nearly or a little more than halfway through her life. So she is taken, seized, uh, and taken to the house of Paro. By the way, the same wording that appears much, much later in Nigilat Esther, and there's much that has been written on the comparison between Esther, and the life of Sarah. Uh, and this is the interesting part. Avram was very successful on her account. It went well for him. So he had flock and cattle and donkeys and servants and maidservants, one of whom shows up significantly later on the parsha. We'll talk about her. And female donkeys and camels. Uh, camels, by the way, will give us a little insight into Avram and his livelihood, but that's something that we will talk about later on in Parshat Chaye Sarah. So Hashem afflicted Paro, great afflictions, according to the Midrash, this was Sarat from the word Nega, uh, and in his entire household, on account of Sarai. Now, one thing that's unclear here is, Paro takes the woman in, and then suddenly he has this terrible affliction, and somehow he connects the dots and understands that Sarai is the problem, and that Sarai indeed is his wife. So one way of interpreting it is Al-Dvar Sarai Avram. One way the Midrash interprets it is Al-Dvar, meaning that she gave the command and she pointed to the different people in the house, afflict, and they were afflicted. The other may be that somehow he got the word that Sarai was Eshet Avram and he understood what the problem was. By Krafaroli Avram, which by the way means that Paro understands that Avram is a very mighty person, that God, or from Paro's perspective, the gods would intervene on his behalf and on the behalf of his marital fidelity. Uh, or that of his wife. I krafarol Avram vayomer mazot asita li. Says, what did you do? Lamaloi gantali kishtachai. So clearly, Paro understands that this is Avram's wife. He says, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Lama amarta achotihi vakachotali lisha. Why did you say she was my sister? She was your sister, and I took her as a wife. Yatai neishtachakach balech. Take your wife and go. Now, as I mentioned in the, in the previous podcast. There are those early commentators that read that Avram's wealth came at this point as reparations for what happened, in which case Paro comes to him, pleads his forgiveness, etc., which fits with the whole model of Paro understanding that Avram was a powerful person and that Paro was afflicted on his account and he wanted to be protected against further, further afflictions. However, the simple read of the text has it very differently. Paro pays Avram all of this great stuff as sort of uh, courting Avram's sister, and then Paro gets very angry with Avram, which is interesting because he seems to be th- provoking the wrath of somebody who's very powerful, and uh, and says, take your wife and kach 
which, by the way, is an interesting phrase because it's the same phrase used when, in the next generation, the uh, family of Rivka says to Avram's slave, and again, we'll talk about this when we get to Chayesarah, same exact phrase, take her and go. But here, it, it's certainly said with a much more uh, angry tone. Paro commanded people go with Avram. And although this, uh, this might be sort of as an escort, it seems more as a security detail to make sure he left the country. And Avram and his wife and everything he has. And Paro at no point says, give back all the stuff that you, that I gave you because I gave it to you under fraudulent terms. Now what's interesting about this, and we'll, we'll look at the end of the Ali and then ask the question, so he and his wife and Lot, who is the silent partner who was with him in Mitzrayim, comes up with Avram back to the Negev, and uh, back to towards the Negev. He's got a lot of cattle, he's got a lot of gold and silver. Uh, we didn't hear about the gold and silver, but perhaps he sold some of the animals. He went from the south He went back to the place that he originally was, between Beit El and Ha'ai. Esforno has a beautiful take on this, where he says that Avram specifically picked an area between two cities to draw people from both cities uh, to his call of the one just God. He came back to the Mizbech that he had, and he set it up, and he called out in God's name, which may mean prayer, may mean thanksgiving. He was just saving Mitzrayim, and now he's a wealthy man. It may be that he's teaching people about God. Different interpretations about what that means. However, the entire next Aliyah, we're going to speak about the way the three different Rishonim address the problem of the dispute between Lot's shepherds and Avram's shepherds, all starts because of the wealth that Avraham acquired in Egypt and acquired under fraudulent terms. And what's the interesting piece here is that Avraham seems to have no compunctions about taking this wealth from Mitzrayim, uh, even though, as I said, it was given to him under uh, under false pretenses. Whereas in the next chapter, in Parakid Dalad, when there is a war and Avram involves himself in the war for very justifiable reasons, to save his nephew, to save Lot uh, and his family, and at the end of the war, Avram refuses to take any spoils and makes an ideological point of it and says, I don't want you, the king of stone, walking around saying, I made Avram rich. And he makes it as part of an oath. He says, the other fellows who came with me, they get their spoils. I take nothing. Uh, and uh, and it seems to be kind of a strange position, considering what happened in, in Mitzrayim. So there's several ways to resolve this apparent contradiction. One of them is geographic, which is that Mitzrayim is out of the land. It's a different place. And Paro enriched uh, Avram. Avram got the wealth. He comes back to Canaan, and Avram's main concern is for his reputation and the reputation of the God that he represents in Canaan. So that's not besmirched at all by what he did in Egypt. However, uh, in the case of Melech Stom, who's local, he doesn't want the king of Stom to look and say, ah, you see Avram's powerful? That's my doing. That's my doing. The second thing is <clears throat> that when we look at the story in Mitzrayim, we can very much see Yad Hashem. Now this, of course, bypasses the Ramban's approach that does not treat Avram uh, kindly for what he did for his presentation of Sarai as his sister. Uh, however, um, if we if we justify and see it as positive, then it could be this, here's Yad Hashem. Hashem's hand directs Avram to go down to Mitzrayim because there's a famine. And Hashem's hand directs Avram to set things up because of the threat against Sarah's life. And he can't rely on a miracle. Again, against the Ramban. And then Avram is, is, uh, is enriched as a result. 
However, when it comes to, and you could see this in the words, when it comes to the king of Sodom, what is Avram's problem? He says, I want everyone to understand that God has made me wealthy. And here, you're going to be around, you're going to say, oh, I paid him all that stuff, he went to war, he's got his guy, and I, and I paid him all that stuff. And even though Avram possibly regarded his military victory as miraculous, and as, uh, and certainly would understand it to be with God's help, nonetheless, from an external perspective, it may look as if he was a warrior, and this fellow paid him off, and now, that's how he got his, that's how he became rich. The third piece of it, the third possible resolution, and I have a fourth I'll share in a moment, the third possible resolution is the context. And that is that the context of, of the potential riches that Avraham turns down after the war is a mercenary a perspective. And for Avram to be presented as a mercenary, as somebody who goes to war and gets spoils and takes his take, would be very, very harmful and, pre- and present a great obstacle to the presentation that Avram wants to make about Hashem, about who the one true God is in the world, as opposed to the events in Mitzrayim. But uh, a fourth possibility is one that I mentioned in the last podcast that we're going to see numerous times, is it really depends on how we re- how we see the Avot. If we see the Avot and we see our other heroes, we see Moshe, etc., as being um, sort of created perfect, and whatever level of stature and perfection and and moral development they attain in their life, they have from the get-go. If that's the case, then anything that they do young at a younger point in their life should match their behavior later in life and should all be to some level of perfection and beyond question. However, this is not necessarily the case. Uh, we find in many cases, when certainly in Yaakov's case, certainly in Yosef's case, certainly in Moshe's case, we find development over the years. We find people learning lessons and growing and changing and developing a more mature attitude, a more sensitive attitude, perfecting their moral nature even to a greater degree. Uh, and certainly there's no reason to think that uh, Avram is any different. So it's possible that Avram, when he first came to Mitzrayim, he was a younger man, the war hadn't happened yet, and there are particular standards that he did not necessarily attain. And perhaps now he, that he's in Eretz Israel, and now that he's he's publicizing the word, now that he's started to create a breach with Aner Eshkol and Avram, Aner and Eshkol and Mamre, the, the, his neighbors, maybe he feels a greater sense of responsibility, and maybe he has developed a little bit to the point where now he's not willing to take anybody else's wealth and uh, make sure that the wealth is all ascribed to God. Four different approaches to understanding the um, the contradiction, the apparent contradiction, to resolving the apparent contradiction between Avram's willingness to take the money from Paro and Avram's unwillingness to take the money from Melech Stom. Okay, in the next podcast, we'll take a look at the third Aliyah, which will be the rest of Parakyot Gimel, and we'll analyze three different approaches among the Rishonim to the dispute between Lot and Avram. We'll look at the Ramban, at Rashi and the Svarno and uh, perhaps suggest some uh, underlying approaches which direct them in these comments. In the meantime, everybody should have a wonderful day.